Your first eight guys maybe should be blue plate specials, but those back five guys, they should be more like tin hats, more guys that are grunt players, garbage players that dive for the ball. You are listening to the Scrambled Eggs Podcast on CrackedSidewalks.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome into Scrambled Eggs, your unofficial Marquette basketball podcast here on CrackSidewalks.com. Joe McCann and Phil Bush here with you once again to talk about the week that was and the week that's coming up for your Golden Eagles. And Phil, uh, last week went about as well as we could expect. Uh, two wins against teams that were mar- were overmatched against Marquette, and uh, now things get exciting this week. Yeah, yeah, it was... Um... I mean, it maybe was not quite exactly how we drew it up in either of those two games this week, but the the end result is what we expected. Uh, there weren't any letdowns or uh, Wojo-esque type uh, givebacks in terms of in terms of losses. So that's good. And now we are in we are in the big time. Yeah, we'll get to the big games coming up. But first, I just want to touch on the week that was a little bit. Uh, I would say one thing that jumps out, Phil, on the wins over St. John's and Georgetown, maybe a, a bit of a theme in both of them. Both of them kind of slow starts for different reasons. Um, I, I don't know how nervous anyone really was about losing either one of those games, but I'd say the first half of both those games were kind of blah. Uh, and then dominant second halves against both till really <laughs> neither game was in doubt once you got into the second half. Uh Scale of one to ten, how concerned does the slow first half concern you, or because, or is it really just about the end result? Because uh, you know, there, I guess there are a couple ways to look at it. One way, if you want to be negative about it, you could say, "Well, these slow halves are going to get us at some point. I wish they would just play the whole game like that." Then the other way to look at it is, "Well, all that matters in the end is the final result." And if all you look at is the final result at St. John's and against Georgetown, you got exactly what you wanted in both of those games. I suppose another way to look at it is like, hey, they're making good halftime adjustments and getting things right. So how do you evaluate the um, difference in first half versus second half of the last two weeks? And that's happened in a couple other games this year too. Yeah, I, I mean, the Providence game was a was a slow first half that they ultimately ended up losing. You, you can make the argument Nova was a, was a slow first half. Um, I, you know, it's it's a great question. I don't know, and this is maybe this this is uh, not good podcasting, but I I don't know that I know the answer because I really can't unpack. You know, is this something where the team's like, you know, I don't think the team comes out particularly flat, um, or like you you can put your finger on any one thing like, oh, this isn't you know this is this is bad, but it's there's been enough slow first half, whether it's the offense has struggled or the defense has struggled, where it's it's almost like they're easing their way into a game. And so to a certain extent, it kind of feels intentional. And if I'm using that framework, I'm not too concerned because, you know, I guess this is just kind of what they do. Um, you know, I, I think on a anxiety, you know, you know, heart attack level. I, I think with the games coming up, I would prefer that we not, uh, not, not start these sorts of ways because coming back against some of the quality teams we're going to have is going to be is going to be that much tougher. But I don't know that I'm worried about it. But it is something of note. I think. Yeah, I think that's kind of where I'm at too. Is like I, I would rather it not happen, but the the slow starts, but the end results are fine, uh, and. Yeah, I'm not at a point where I'm thinking that's going to happen every game as far as uh, 
dominating second halves and winning every game. And yeah, they will probably get some losses at some point coming up. But um, you would wish they would maybe just come out a little bit better against some of the better teams because you can afford to have a sloppy first half against St. John's and Georgetown and still come out with a win, and that's exactly what they did. So yeah, I would say I'm not overly concerned. I just wish it wouldn't go that way yeah. sometimes. Well, but I mean, if, if we're looking at the positive side of things, in the second half of both the Georgetown and St. John's game, they in the St. John's game, they scored 55 points, Marquette did. And in the Georgetown game, they scored 61 points. Like, d- depending on certain universities in red 90 miles west of where I'm currently sitting, those are like full game scores. So, yes. so like... There are good things happening. And, and, and as is anything, I think you, you have to recognize that hmm, this is an issue or a concern or something to keep an eye on. But I, I also don't want you know us starting off kind of like, hey, is there something to be concerned about to take away from, hey, this team is good. We, we don't know quite yet how good, but they are above average good. They certainly are. I'll, I'll say one guy who has been above average good is Tyler Kolick, who, who uh, is, you know, I don't know if he's going to get necessarily any love for the Koozie Award or anything like that, but I don't know how many point guards I would rather have over Tyler Kolick right now. Uh, a He is an assist machine, a 15 assist, zero turnover performance against Georgetown. And when you have one of the nation's top 10 offenses, having a point guard like that is essential. And he's a big reason why Marquette's offense is so elite. And I I just can't say enough about how well he is playing this season. He, his assist rate, is eighth in the country per Ken Palm. He's shooting 35% from three. That's a good number, especially considering where it was a year ago. He plays good defense. Uh, He does everything you would want out of your point guard, and he brings good energy. Uh, He has good leadership, and the Georgetown... we, We even said early in the season, Phil, that there would be a game this year where Tyler Kolick would hit 15 assists. And he got that number exactly. And I guess if he would have finished the game, because Marquette was kind of blowing out Georgetown, he could have gotten the the Marquette record for a single game, which is 17. Uh, Maybe he will get that at some point. This week would be good. But I I can't brag on Tyler Kolick enough because he is having a tremendous, tremendous season. Absolutely. I mean, he's, you know, just from an attitude, a skill set, a style – um, he, he's a joy to watch. Like I can, ima- I absolutely believe every other team that plays against him, those fan bases hate him. There, there is, there is yes. no way if you're a non Marquette fan that you're like Tyler Kolick, he's all right. Like in terms of like, whether you love him or hate him, right? Like he is an absolute pest and I am, sh- I am absolutely sure despised by most fan bases. And you know, when you have one of those on your team, it's great. What was interesting is is at the Georgetown and at the Georgetown game yesterday, uh, watching the bench because because where my season tickets are, are are behind the Marquette match, far behind the Marquette bench, but but behind the Marquette bench, um, and uh, uh, and and Shaka alluded to this at the uh, at, at, in his post game conference or post game um, uh, radio bit with uh, Steve Steve True um, when Cola got pulled out at the end of the game there. He was he was lighting into Shaka a little bit, and you could tell just. I, and I wasn't sure, you know. I thought it was about the assist. Like, oh man, he's he's aware of how many assists he needs to get the single game record. Shaka may mention that he he said something about needing a 
wanting to get a double-double because he I think he had eight points and, and 15 uh, assists yesterday. Um, what, whatever it was, but like, you know, when you're up 20 with three minutes to go and your starting point guard is as is pissed at your coach about um, being pulled from a game because because he needs to get three more assists. Those are good times. Like, that's the kind yeah. of like, that's what I would call good trouble, right? Yeah, it's it definitely a good problem to have when that was the biggest issue in the game is whether or not Kolek could get three more assists and break the uh, break the school record for assists in a game. But he's just always been he's always really been in control as a point guard and the way he's dictated the offense and he's always made other players better, even if his scoring average is not what you would think of when you think of an all Big East or all American guard. But his assist-to-turnover ratio is absolutely absurd. And this offense does not is just not the same without him. It certainly wasn't that way last year. I think it's done much better in stretches without him this year. And yeah. I think that's a credit to uh, Stevie Mitchell and Cam Jones and Sean Jones, who have uh, done a nice job spelling Kolick uh, when uh, Kolick needs a break. But still... The way he is able to get in the lane and draw attention, find big men, uh, throw lobs, find open shooters, he's just tremendous. And, you know, Shaka even said on his uh, radio show, like, you know, Tyler has two more years of eligibility. Um, you know, he has his senior year and then he has his COVID year if he wants to use it. And it's fun to think about that, that we could potentially have two more years of Tyler Kolick running this offense like this. And uh, I, I think he's already pretty beloved by the fans. And I think that's only going to continue as he continues to play like this. Absolutely. And, and, and think about, you know, him from a, you know, let, let's say he is here for another two years. You've got talent coming in, Trey Norman. Uh, you've got, you know, obviously Sean Jones, Stevie Mitchell, you know, on, on the team now. What can those players do as a result of being teammates with a Tyler Kolick, right? I'm not saying Tyler Kolick is going to be like their coach or something, but like there is a certain amount of, you know, osmosis you get um, as a result of being on the team, you know, with a t Tyler Kolick. So as long as he's around, I think this offense will will continue to be extremely effective because you have to, you you know, the, the, the players have to think, as fast as a Tyler Kolick or an Osoe Godaro do, right? Like they are thinking so rapidly. The other players have to be able to to, to keep up with them um, to be in the right spots for when that, you know, <laughs> Tyler driving down the lane, whipping it back, you know, diagonally over his over his left shoulder back to the wing for a uh, for a for an open three. Like you have to be ready for that kind of shot. And so I think this is one of those things where where the players elevate everyone. And, you know, it was mentioned, Tyler Kolick, not only is his assist to turnover ratio ridiculous, like, for the season, uh, the last, the last, what was it, three games or four games, he's at 39 assists and three turnovers. He's, he's at 13 to 1 ratio uh, assist to turnover. That's, that's unheard of. So, like, good for you, Tyler. Good for you. Keep it going, man. Keep it going. You, you know, you talk about those younger guys. What Tyler does for those guys is he raises the bar for what it means to be the starting point guard for Shaka Smart. Like, right. It, like, whenever, whether Tyler is there two more years or one more year, like, he has set the bars. Like, this is what I expect out of my point guard. And you need to 
play like this, whether the intensity on the defensive end or you need to be creating like he does on the offensive end. This is what we expect. And uh, I think Sean Jones and Stevie Mitchell are responding positively to that. Because like I said, they're playing, they have played well uh, when Tyler has needed a break. It's not like the offense is lost when Tyler's on the bench now, where I think you would have said that a little more last year when, uh, when Tyler went to the bench. Um, this year, it, like, granted, you still want him out there, but when he does need a break, he does need to sit for a few minutes. I don't think the offense falls apart as much, but when he's out there, man, it is clicking. It is humming. It is a top 10 offense on Ken Palm, and it's I don't see any reason why it's going to slow down at this point because they've done it against some uh, pretty decent defenses so far. Yeah, well, and I, and I think, it, it, you know, just the, the, the starting five in general – I, you know, Tyler's certainly kind of leading the way from a from an offensive engine standpoint, but just the starting five, I, I would put them up with with any of the starting five in the country, right? I, and I'm not saying they're the best starting five in the country. I just think the way the style they're playing, um, the the efficiency with which they're playing, the offensive uh, offensive capability, the they can beat you left-handed, right-handed, no-handed, right, like. Um, I, I think that is uh, one. It's it's very appealing to the eye. I, it's just exciting to to watch Marquette basketball again, even when we were winning big games um, in previous eras. Even going back, like this isn't just Wojo slander. Going back to Buzz, like there were some big games Buzz teams won, but they they were slugfests. They were you know rock fights. Um, they weren't exactly things of beauty. And, and I got to say, while I think the defense can improve and should improve in, on this team, it would be great to see better defense. I, ju- I love the approach of this team, and it's a joy to watch, and, and that, that's got to count for something. Yeah, I, I will agree with you that I think Marquette's starting five can score with any starting right. five in the country. There are certainly starting fives that are better overall on both ends of the floor than Marquette's. But yes, Marquette's starting five can score on anybody. Right. Uh, I, I, I would be confident that they would be able to put together an offensive game plan against just about any team they face. It's the question if they're going to get enough stops on the other end to, to beat teams like that, like, say, what we have against Connecticut right. this coming week. Um, before we move on to the games uh, on the horizon, Phil, is there anything else you wanted to touch on on the week that was or just any trends you've noticed with the team lately? No, I, I think I, I think the team, you know, is is starting to, to kind of feel itself a little bit. Um, they're starting to generate, uh, you know, lots of energy. I think the crowds um, are really starting to become a thing again. Um, not that not that, you know, the crowds haven't had some size to them over the last year and a half. But I, I get the sense, even though Marquette's not ranked, I get the sense that people are starting to notice that Marquette is A, fun, and B, good. Um, and the crowd energy and the crowd size is, um, is, is, is starting to kind of come up. And that's, that's another good thing because, you know, we're, we're a relatively, I, I would argue that Marquette as a fan base is a relatively humble fan base. We're not, we're not big you know, we're, we're snarky and we pick on ourselves, but we're not big braggers or anything like that. But I will say, I think, you know, when it comes to in-game experience and, you know, fan knowledge generally and that sort of thing, 
I would put Marquette fans up with, with, you know, just about any other fan base in the country. And I think, you know, especially when we talk about coming into the, the upcoming games, that's, that's going to matter. You're going to, you're, you know, having knowledgeable, large, enthusiastic crowds that can, that can play a, uh, play a factor into some of these games. There's something to be said for knowing you're going to get a good show when you go to a Marquette game, right? as opposed to, uh, Maybe the chore it became for a while there, but that even if you're not confident they're going to win, you're confident you're going to be entertained. And more often than not, they are winning at home lately. But even if they don't, you know you're at least going to be entertained to a good show, a good game. And I think this Marquette team has brought that in every home game this year. Now they haven't won every home game. They of course, uh, you know, they lost the game to Wisconsin, but they've won all their other home games and. I think no matter who comes into the five serve forum for the rest of the season, any fan that shows up should be pretty confident that they are going to be entertained. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And speaking of entertaining, we have someone, some entertaining games coming up. Very much so. Very much so. We, I have been saying for a few weeks that if uh, you are in the greater Milwaukee area or maybe driving distance, say, northern Illinois somewhere, and you were thinking about catching a Marquette game this season, maybe carve out a little time for Wednesday, January 11th when the Connecticut Huskies come to town. Now, Connecticut has gone out and lost a couple games since I started saying that, but they are still a top-five team on Ken Palm. We'll see what the uh, rankings are when they come out on Monday, but Connecticut will be ranked somewhere in the top five, I guess. I mean, after a loss to Providence, I don't know. Maybe they'll be in the top ten. But bottom line, they will be ranked. They'll be ranked very high, and they will be favored in this game. For sure. Probably, I think. Uh, on, Ken, on Ken Palm, uh, they are a two-point favorite over Marquette on Wednesday. We'll see what uh, Vegas says. when Those lines usually line up. But as good as Marquette's offense is... Six overall on Ken Palm. Connecticut's is right behind them. Nine on Ken Palm. And they are fourth defensively. So they are top ten on both categories. Whereas Marquette, as great as the offense has been, that defensive number keeps going the other way. And I know Shaka wants to be known for being a great defensive team and bringing that energy on defense, but the metrics just don't back that up. And it really kind of matches the eye test, too, to be honest, Uh, especially some of these sluggish first halves have not gone Marquette's way on the defensive end. So Marquette is 81st in the country on defensive efficiency on Ken Palm, which is, like, okay when you're comparing yourself to the rest of the entire country, but maybe not necessarily great when you're comparing yourself to the other teams in the top 25. Yeah. Look, Connecticut's and, great. Uh, and, they've and, lost two games, but they are very good. Yeah, and, and, and you know, typically Shaka teams are, are top 40 KP defenses, right? So this is, this is one of the few years, and actually last year was the only other year, where, um, where a Shaka-led team was not in the top 40 of Ken Palm. I don't think um, Marquette gets to the top 40 in defense. Like, it's just not there. What I do think is interesting, I agree with the overall eye test that says, hey, the defense, it it's average, right? It's a middling defense. Um, yeah, it's not terrible. It's not like it's embarrassing. It's just not great. Right. And, but what is interesting, we saw it in the Nova game. We saw it um, in the, uh, you know, the Purdue game to a certain extent. We saw it in the second half of the Wisconsin game. Um you know, we certainly saw it in the second half of the Notre Dame game. Marquette's defense has the capability. You know, we've seen them play. Maybe elite is too aggressive, but we've seen them play really, really strong defense in four, six, eight-minute spurts, right? 
they have not done it. They haven't built the whole plane out of those spurts, which is the the unfortunate <laughs> right. part. Um, but the defense, there, there's a ceiling there they're capable of hitting. Why they don't do it more consistently, I, I don't know. Shaka would have to draw it up on a whiteboard for us. But but I, I do think they're capable in the right circumstances of producing really strong defense. I just don't know that they can do it all the time, especially against a team like uh, a top 10 Ken Palm offense like, like Connecticut. Yeah, I mean, I'd say probably the longest really strong defensive stretch – we've probably seen is probably that first half against Baylor or maybe the first half against Purdue, which was also pretty good, um, where they did have a pretty pretty good defensive efforts. But, again, it didn't last the entire game uh, in, in either of those games. And, yeah, there have been more stretches where the defense just was giving up open looks and it hasn't fallen. And against a team like Connecticut uh, – you're going to be need to be you're going to need to be locked in for 40 minutes, uh, and right. maybe that's asking too much. But also, if you get a loud crowd behind you, maybe it's not asking too much out of this team to uh, bring your best defensive effort for an entire 40 minutes. And but they're certainly going to need it when you look at this Connecticut roster and look at the results they've been producing. Yes, they have lost two games recently. They did both road games. They lost at Xavier, and then they lost to Providence by quite a bit, actually. I mean, by 12 points. Providence. Frustrating as they are, you got to give they they are tough at home. Maybe sometimes the whistle has something to do with it, but Dan, they are a pain in the butt to play in at their place, and uh, Connecticut fell to that as well this past on uh, on Wednesday. Uh, but then Connecticut bounced back and beat Creighton by nine on Saturday. Of course, the 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 guy you got to fear the most is probably the leader in the clubhouse for Big East Player of the Year, uh, Adama Sanogo. Um, He's number five on the National Player of the Year rankings on Ken Palm. They've got good guards. Jordan Hawkins has been very good. Andre ja- uh, Andre Jackson is very tough on the wing. They have depth. They have talent. Uh, they bring it on both ends, offensively and defensively. You can understand why they will be a favorite in the Fiserv Forum. Phil, where where do you see matchups? Where do you see opportunities for Marquette to frustrate Connecticut? Yeah, uh, so we're, we're going to get into a, a little later. We're going to do a talk fill off the 2-0 ladder. But let, let's let's play this, this uh, the talking about the game individually um, as as a reality-based. I think, I think where Marquette has opportunities against, say, a, a UConn is one is going to be on the break, right? If they, can, if they can turn UConn over before they get set, um, if they can... Uh, get out into the open floor. I think that plays to Marquette's advantage. I think the other thing, you know, I think Connecticut's defense is going to be tough. This is going to be a real test. Like if Marquette's offense does not get stymied against UConn, I don't know that there's anyone that's going to necessarily stymie, stymie Marquette's offense because UConn on paper is built to, to, to stop Marquette defensively, I think. Um, but But I do think... UConn has some some issues in the guard play in terms of I don't think they have a, a true point guard generating you know so so they don't really have a floor general type they they have a, a some tall guards that can take turns initiating offense but I don't know that any one of them does it any any particular great job at it um, so I think Marquette can exploit some of that the question is can they exploit it enough to make up the gap in terms of you know, the struggle the offense will likely have against such a strong defense. And Connecticut's length at guard is also a concern. 
uh, you look at the guys they're rolling out there at the guard spot, 6'5", 6'5", 6'6", whereas Marquette is rolling out 6'3", 6'2", 6'4". So, and then, of course, uh, Sonogo's big. I mean, he is... Six. I mean, he. I guess he and Oso are about the same size. Both listed at six nine, um, and then uh, Caravan. He's six eight. So he's a similar height wise, anyway, to Prosper. But I think Prosper matches up with him physically just fine. But yeah, it's uh, the, what Connecticut's defense because what they can do on on defense can humble Marquette's offense as, as good as it's been. Uh, and if they just slow him down just a little bit, you're not, you don't need to shut out Marquette's offense, but if you can just make them struggle a little bit, like especially if they're not hitting from three, like it, they did in the first half against Georgetown, um, and you're not allowing them to get into the paint, which is what Marquette loves to do. I mean, Marquette is still elite in that regards. They're number three in the country in two-point percentage. And then when you have Sonogo in the middle, that can deter that. I mean, we saw that against Purdue when Marquette was not able to get into the paint as much as they wanted to, uh, and that led to some struggles in the second half offensively, some stretches, like like a five-minute stretch there where they didn't get a field goal. I think that's what Connecticut wants to do is just keep Marquette out of the paint, forced him to shoot more threes, which Marquette is doing okay, but certainly not at an elite rate is uh, shooting from downtown. Uh, that's what Connecticut wants to do is make Marquette be a jump shooting team. And that's probably uh, Connecticut's best path to victory is just keep Marquette out of the paint and make them shoot jump shots. Yeah, I think so. I, I what's, what's going to be interesting is what Connecticut does with Sonogo against Oso when Marquette's on offense Right. I mean, obviously, Sonogo can is, is they may be the same height, but Sonogo is an entirely different body type from Oso or or Ben Gold or or Omax. Right. Any any of our quote unquote tall players are given up, what, 40, 50 pounds to, to Sonogo, I, I think, in some instances. Um, so so I, I mean, it's clear that. That UConn is going to try. Sonogo's listed at two forty-five. He seems he seems Sonogo's listed at two forty-five. He almost seems bigger than that. And like Oso's listed at two fifteen. Yeah, I I mean I I I if you had told me Sonogo was was two sixty, I wouldn't have blinked at that. So yeah, I, I I mean maybe he just seems bigger, but um so it's clear UConn will probably try and feed feed him in in the post, but. I'll be curious to see because Oso is not, and in the the radio show with with Jen Lada, the the Marquette Basketball Hour this past week, you know, Shaka talked about, um, you know, post up players really aren't post up at players anymore, right? And and Oso is clearly not, you know, a back to the basket, you know, back somebody down and then you know a, a drop step in for a layup kind of kind of big he's he's much more of a i don't want it to sound negative but he's more of a finesse player right he's got a push shot he's got a couple other things but he's not really playing his back to the basket what'll be interesting is what they do with sonogo is you know are they going to have him follow oso out to the perimeter and and risk sonogo switching on to some of our speedier guards and being away from the um and being away from the hoop or do they do they sag Sonogos where he can stick around and, and protect the rim 
uh, but open up a bunch of space in the middle, right? That's that's going to be the chess piece. I'm really excited to. I'm going to be really excited to watch for is is what does Marquette's offense do to put Sonogo in uncomfortable positions? Um, you know, not the back of a Volkswagen or anything, but you know, like. <laughs> Uh, but what 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 where are they where are they moving him around to and how is Hurley adjusting to that because that that's going to be key for for Marquette's offense to hum. Yeah, I think the the thing that a, a defensive team might have to debate when Oso is away from the basket is, on one hand, he's not a threat to shoot from out there, but on the other hand, if you give him space, then he's point Oso. And he has such good vision and he's such an excellent passer, then you allow him to create plays that way. Yeah, he's probably not going to shoot. He's I don't know if he he hasn't attempted a three this year or probably in his Marquette career, and it's probably not going to at this point. But so you're not worried about him hitting a jump shot, but if you give him space to dribble and a space to survey the defense and see who's cutting to the basket. He can make a really great pass, and you can get a layup that way. So, yeah, th- I, that is a um, I, that's a decision that UConn's going to have to make. What is Oso, what to do if Oso is uh, away from the basket and gets the ball, you know, fifteen feet out or so? Right, and 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 I'm not I'm not questioning Sonogo's athleticism or anything like that, but I, I think you know it's pretty easy to say that. That that Oso, in terms of being fleet of foot and, and quick, can outquick Sonogo, right? So if you get Sonogo out, we we've seen it a couple of times against Bigs this year, where where Oso is able to you know dribble drive from six seven feet out, something like that, just out quick, quick spoon move, get beat to the baseline, something like that. Um, so what what Oso gives up in 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 size on the or or mass if you will on the on the defensive end more than makes up for on the offensive end in terms of his agility and ability to get to the hoop so i think i think that's going to be the key where we say hey we think you know if oso can can create offense and mismatch and and frustrate sonogo i i think that gives marquette a chance um because that means they can unlock UConn's defense, which I'm much more worried about being able to unlock UConn's defense because Marquette is going to have to turn this into a uh, into a race, right? This is going to be a race to 100 uh, for Marquette to win. This is not going to be like a 61-60. You know, it's not going to be the the Villanova game, right, where it was 66-68. This is going to be if Marquette's going to win, we you you got to get to 70, 75 possessions in this game. And what would also help is if you could get a friendly home whistle for a change. Any uh, kind of whistle that's that friendly, I, right? <laughs> yeah. Not, not, not that I love winning that way necessarily, but if you can get it, you take it every single time. Uh, and I don't know, I feel like Marquette's had a tough time getting fouls called in their favor. Yeah, lately. which is not weird be because we play a lot at the rim, right? Like you would expect. I mean, you've got right, Cam yeah. Jones, Tyler, everybody's driving, but we're not getting calls. Yeah. Yeah, I hate to be a guy who, like, gripes about officials, but it hasn't gone unnoticed that for, uh, it's not like Marquette is a jump shooting team that just shoots a ton of threes. And that's why you don't get fouls called. They're one of the best two point percentage uh, teams in the country. And they do get to the basket a lot. A lot of is because of what Tyler does is getting into the paint and then um, either lobbing up to Oso or Oso's in the paint. And he makes a nice backdoor pass to somebody cutting to the basket. Guys do like to drive. Joplin likes to go to the basket every now and then. Uh, 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 Omax definitely likes to get into the paint and take and post his guy up. So I don't know. 
maybe getting a few more whistles would be nice because I yeah. think Marquette is doing what you would expect a team to do if you're saying, well, we want more fouls. I think they're doing what you would expect a team to do because, again, they're not just shooting from 30 feet and saying, why aren't we getting any fouls? That's not what's happening. Right. Well, I mean, the, the, the mid-range shot or the any, you know, basically from six feet out until the three-point line, that is essentially gone in Marquette's, you know, vocabulary and and shot taking. So everything's either at the rim or three. I get what, you know, it, you're not going to get a lot of fouls out on the three-point line, though, you know, David Joplin managed to give up a four-point play that way. But, you know, we don't need to get into that right now. Um, but, like, yeah, there, there, there should be a little bit friendlier whistle. And I will say this. Now, this is maybe, you know, rose-colored glasses or whatever. Um, but between kind of the, I'll say, unfriendly whistle, it's not a conspiracy. Nobody's out to get Marquette. Like, it's just, you know variance right you're gonna one get, of those things yeah it's just one, one of those, those things, things. Yeah. but between the, the the whistle we've been getting of late and quite frankly the number of you know shots where where you know on our offensive end where they're halfway down and pop out or wide open looks that we miss and on the defensive end one of the things and i think paint touches did a really good job with this one of this the things we've seen over the last five six seven games especially um, and Synergy has just come out with a shot quality metric. And essentially what it looks like is Marquette's defense is good. We're holding or we're holding teams to shots that should be of lower quality. The teams are just happening to make those. Like so I, I whether you call it luck or you know statistical variance, whatever, I think Marquette's had a lot of defensive effort that's gone really well that's resulted in buckets being made that don't kind of account for how the defense has played throughout that, right? The Villanova game was a perfect example, especially in the first half. There was five, six, seven possessions where Marquette defended them for a full 29 and a half seconds and then like forced a, you know, a leaning back jump shot or something like that, that happened to go in, right? So I, I think if we get some of that turned the other way, maybe it's not as clear cut that Marquette is quote unquote inferior to a UConn or a Xavier. Maybe so. Maybe so. I uh, didn't, I forget where I saw it, but didn't you say like Marquette is like their luck metric is really not very good at all. Yeah. It's, it's 327, a, for, whatever, for what you take. Yeah. Whatever Ken Palm's yeah. luck metric is like, however it calculates, whatever that is, Marquette is 327th in the country in that variant. In that in that um, category, so you know, either that is what we are, and and we live with it, or maybe that means we get some you know some things will even out during the season, which would be just fine by me. Take that metric uh, for what it's worth. All right, we're gonna see. We're gonna like get to talking you off the two and zero excitement in a minute. Let's talk about the other opponent first, very quickly. So after the UConn game, we get to go to Xavier and uh, this would be a good time to bust out the Spider-Man meme pointing at himself because (laughs) uh, according to the metrics Marquette and Xavier nearly identical Marquette 15th in Ken Palm Xavier 18th in Ken Palm Marquette number six offense on Ken Palm Xavier number seven offense Marquette number 81 defense Xavier number 80 defense (laughs) So one point separates them on both offensive and defensive efficiency uh, on Ken Palm. Uh, Marquette's effective field goal percentage, third nationally. Xavier's effective field goal percentage on offense, fourth nationally. 
Hmm. Uh, the, w the one area where there is a g gap is uh, where they get those points or how they get them. Uh, Xavier is a much, much better three-point shooting team. They are fifth in the nation in three-point shooting on Ken Palm compared to Marquette, which is 98th. Marquette is third in the country on two-point percentage, but Xavier's not bad there either. They're 25th in the country, so they're pretty good too. But um, again, metrics-wise, very, very similar teams, Phil. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and again, I think they're very similar in terms of um, – a lot of a lot of starter minutes, right? I think, you know, Xavier's starting five is a very good five, and you know, I think four out of the five players play seventy to seventy-five percent of the um, of of the minutes in a game. So that is a very um, heavy starting lineup. So they, I think, they really only go seven, maybe eight deep with any kind of routine. Um, so, so it is the, the, the living embodiment of the, the Spider-Man pointing at himself meme because, because they are, they are very similar teams. They're, they're gonna, they're, they're both going to play with pace. Xavier is going to be looking to shoot from the, from the arc. Marquette's going to be looking to get inside. Um, Xavier's a little bigger start to, you know, top to bottom from a roster standpoint. So, so that'll be interesting. But you know, Marquette's also got some some pace, maybe that that Xavier doesn't have. So it's kind of like when these things clash, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, who comes out and and what what makes the key the key factor for each team. Yeah, the the Fremantle Nunji combination is is a concern for me because uh, that they are a tough matchup uh, because of their length um, and and their and what they can both do offensively, but. Um, I, I do think that I, I Oso will still be able to do what he hopes to do offensively against them. It's gonna. I think it'll take a pretty good defensive effort to try to limit those guys on the other end because they just are kind of so dynamic when they're in there together. Yeah. The way Nunji, I mean, Nunji shoots the three at forty-one percent, so you can't leave him out there. So he he's going to try to drag Oso out to the perimeter, um, and then it might be on somebody else to defend the paint, and get rebounds if if uh, if Nunji's all the way out there. Um, so yeah, Xavier's going to be frustrating to guard. They are really going to put Marquette's defense to the test. But you would say the exact same thing on the other end, uh, Xavier fine but not elite defensively so Marquette should be able to get mostly what it wants the question is with that size in the middle there um, will they get as many two point baskets as they are used to getting uh, or are they going to have to maybe step up their shooting from three point range especially if Xavier is hitting from three because if you're trading twos for threes all day you do the math you're not going to win that game yeah for sure and 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 that's going to be the the interesting check chess mass. And this is, this is another game where if you get a little bit of a whistle or you're able to get either Fremantle or Nunji in foul trouble, because honestly, like they play those two together a lot. Um, you know, yeah. so I, I'm just looking at Ken Palm now and they play Nunji, uh, their, their number one lineup, which is Fremantle, Nunji, Jones, Kunkel, and, and Bomb. They play that almost 37% of the time. So, you know, if you can get Fremantle or Nunji into foul trouble, um, that that forces Xavier into some uncomfortable lineups or, or lineups they don't use with any kind of regularity, right? Um, so that's that's going to be the, the challenge is is how do you put Xavier into uncomfortable positions defensively? And... Um, 
and I think, you know, this one is, I, I'm not worried about Oso guarding on the perimeter, right? Like, like you said, Nunji and, and Fremantle can both, both shoot from range to a certain extent. I'm not worried about guarding them out there, right? It's not like, you know, it's not like Chris O'Toole is, is out there trying to, uh, trying to guard on the perimeter or anything like that. So, um, I think we'll, sure. you know, I think, we'll, you know, Ben Gold can guard on the perimeter, right? So I'm not, I'm not worried about, about that. Um, it's going to be curious to see how much Marquette can defend the perimeter. Because if you overextend to, to, to defend the perimeter, especially if Oso is out on the perimeter, that opens up the lane, which could be, you know, which could be problematic for Marquette, right? If we're, if we're not, if we're not back and in front of the players that, you know, especially bomb could, could get into a lot of driving lanes. Yeah. And, and you also risk giving up offensive rebounds, too, yep. which is, is, is going to be a problem. And of course, you know, this is a road game, by the way, if we didn't make that clear. So Marquette is actually a dog in this one, a three point underdog at, um, at Xavier. Now, these teams are so close. It's funny on the opposite end when Xavier comes to Milwaukee, Marquette is a four-point favorite in that game per Ken Palm at the moment. So neutral floor. I mean, I think Ken Palm would probably be calling for a tie, <laughs> right, right? Because because they're so similar. So uh, the the home court advantage is really what tips the scales on the Ken Palm projections on this one. And you know. Winning on the road, of course, is always going to be tough. Uh, going to their place, going to Cincinnati is always going to be a challenge, playing them at their place. But uh, that's really the only difference in why Marquette is such an underdog in this game is the home court advantage. Yeah, and and, and, and it makes sense, right? Uh, you know, I, this is going to be one of the these, – these two games, I think, will really kind of prove out, you know, is it for real that Marquette, if they do lose, they can keep it close, right? Like either Xavier or Connecticut – are, let's be honest, if Marquette has a bad game, are per- perfectly capable of blowing the, blowing Marquette out. So, you know, does Marquette keep these games close, especially a tough road game? You know, the Cintas Center is not an easy place to play. You know, the state of Ohio generally sucks. So, you know, it's 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 <laughs> it's going to be a it's going to be a challenge. Um, and and you know, I think I expect both games to be a back and forth affair. You know, and and. Now there may be a case where Marquette goes down, you know, ten or something like that um, at some point. But I think we've seen all season this is not a team that gives up, right? That this team has had from time to time uh, the habit of of giving up big leads. They were down uh, what? They were down nine in overtime to Providence. They were down thirteen at half to Wisconsin. They were down. Um, at one point, they were down 12 at Purdue before they they closed it late, right? There, you know, this this is a team that 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 maybe lets it get away from them a little bit, but but still finds ways to reel it back. So I think that you know that kind of challenge that they've had over the season bodes well for them um, to be able to step up in these couple of games and not be rattled. Yeah, and you know we tend to focus one week at a time here on the podcast, uh, but let's not overlook the fact that this is part of a three-game stretch when Marquette is playing the three of the top teams in the Big East because they got Providence at home next week. Yep. So over the course of eight days, you're playing Connecticut, Xavier, and Providence. Uh, two of those three are at home. So uh, a, a great opportunity for Marquette, and let's just kind of focus on this week currently, Phil. Uh, it's kind of a, a, a bit, I want to say, I don't know if separation week is kind of a, is how I want to say it, but the bottom line is, if you can go 2-0 and this week, 
all of a sudden you are a real, real contender to win the Big East Championship. If you go 0-2 this week, then there's probably a clear line between Marquette and the contenders. Not not that Marquette's dropping too far, but you're probably looking at them as a tier below the teams that people are looking to win the Big East in Providence, uh, UConn, and Xavier. Now, if you get a split, you're probably just treading water, and you're just you're still in the mix, but you're probably not talking championship either just yet. So is that kind of how you look at this week, Phil? It's just a, uh, a golden opportunity to either A, you could either A, leap to right at the top of the conversation as a Big East championship contender, or uh, if, you, if it goes the other way, uh, you're a clear tier below the teams that everyone else is talking about for a championship. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think this this tells you whether Marquette is, that really the next eight days, tell you whether Marquette is in the championship contender tier or they're in the NCAA tournament, but not quite as good as as the top tier kind of level, right? That's that's going to be the separator. These are, quite frankly, the the three most important games on the remaining schedule. This is the most important, you know, eight days, um, because there's there's lots of other key games coming up. But in this span, where you're going back to back to back, and if you go better than 500 over these next three games, which you you can't go exactly 500. That's just how math works. Um, but you, you, I mean, you're either go yeah two and one or one and two or you know three and zero oh or, or yeah, three exactly. But if you go two and one or three and zero oh over the next eight days, like national media will have to pay attention to Marquette. I mean, the argument is why Marquette is not well thought of. I listened to the 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 eyes on Ion basketball from uh, the CBS uh, podcast with Norlander uh, the other day, and they were talking about Providence, and they were basically every, everything was. Hey, the top, the the Big East is is going to be run by either UConn, Providence, or Xavier. Nary a mention of Marquette, and it's kind of like, eh, well, that that doesn't seem fair. We're we're you know five and one in conference, but you know we we've already split our two tough games, right? Creighton and Providence. Um, these are the games that are going to force national audiences to appreciate what Marquette is doing if Marquette can win these games. If Marquette can't right, win these you know, games, they are what they are, right? Yeah, I, I think, yeah, to your point, they yeah they have played two tough games against the teams you would consider to be in the uh, top five of the Big East in, in Creighton and Providence, but they have not played Connecticut once and they have not played Xavier once. But now once you get through this stretch here, uh, let's like take the stretch all the way through next Wednesday, then you've played Providence twice. You've got one against Connecticut and one against Xavier. Then you have a large sample size against what is pretty much shaping up to be the top five teams in the Big East. Uh, I'd say you know Villanova is probably comfortably. I would look at them at sixth right now, and then there's a line, and then there's the other five after Villanova. But as far as teams that are in the hunt to potentially win the league, it's right now as we're recording this. Providence is six and zero. Xavier five and zero. Marquette five and one. Connecticut five and two. And many are understandably still picking them to win the league for the moment. Uh, and then you got Creighton at three and two, well as well. So, but yes, yeah, so I think that for the to answer your question, why no not even mention Marquette when you're talking about teams that win the league? I get it because you haven't seen them against Connecticut or Xavier. But to your point. You enter the conversation with a good week this week, at least if you go one and one, right? If right. you go zero and two and neither game is close, then yeah, they're probably right and not even talking about you again until you can prove something uh, on the next go round. Right. And well, and 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 the flip side of that conversation is is if Marquette goes zero and two this week, 
um, or 0-3 or whatever, as long as they're not blowouts. Like, I, I know people will get kind of down or, hey, the, the, these are really good teams that Marquette is playing, right? And Marquette is in year right. two. Our expectations have raised some. I, I fully expect these to be competitive games for Marquette. Um, but I would not... Um, I would not get down if the results don't go the way we'd like them to, just simply because, you know, these, you know, Connecticut and Xavier are older, experienced, good teams. It's okay to lose to those games, especially on the road. So while I don't, you know, again, yeah, if you talk yourself into being expecting to win every game, I've said before, you're going to be disappointed because Marquette is not going to go undefeated the rest of the way. I promise you, you just need to be able to bounce back from the losses and keep, chugging along if Marquette does go 0-2 this week as expected well then you just shake it off and make sure you take care of Providence at home which I think you should right because uh, hopefully you get a friendlier whistle this time around uh playing a home against Providence who is good but I don't think so much better than Marquette that there should be any fa- any fear of losing that game um Ken Palm has Marquette as a five-point favorite over Providence at home. And then you're favored to win your next one, two, three, four after that until you get the second go-round with Connecticut when you're at their place. Uh, and then uh, there's a lot of winnable games after that. Because really, after this, I wouldn't say easy, but this is the bulk of the schedule, these next three games. Like, this is the toughest stretch in the schedule. Because then after that, you get a nice mix of, yeah, games against good teams that are probably going to the tournament and also games against the teams that while they could beat you, you will be favored and should feel pretty good about winning those games later in the season against Butler, against Georgetown, against DePaul, uh, and against St. John's. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it, it's crazy to think about it, but this is how far we've come with the games remaining on the Big East schedule. Ken Palm is projecting Marquette to be, um, uh, you know, on the, the lower, you know, not favored in four of them. Right. Right. So, that's that's a lot of you know they're favored in seven ten games uh, on the balance of the schedule. I don't know that you know I, I, that that's kind of a crazy number I think. So so yeah I, it, you know we got to play this week we got to win these two games because these two teams will you know I don't want to say if we go two and zero this this week where we're locked for the NCAA tournament um, you know because a lot can go wrong obviously um, we're not even into February yet. But you you win these two games and people start talking about, well, you know, Marquette's a, you know, a, a, a five or better seed. Right. Right now, we're probably a six seed for sure. Um, you know, if the season if the tournament started today. But, you know, you, you win one, maybe both of these games and, and you're talking uh, you're talking a uh, you know, you're talking a, a, a four seed or, or better. Right. So. Yeah, uh, I think so. I mean, yeah, I, I agree. You don't use the word lock in mid-January, but you win two games this week. It would take a hell of a collapse to not be a tournament team, right? <laughs> like, which, which, uh, like, which we've uh, seen. Uh, let's let's be honest. We have, you know, Marquette is not immune to the late season collapse. Uh, Marquette is certainly not immune to it. But we don't really want to talk about those things now. Uh, we're trying to keep it positive and uplifting. But uh, uh, speaking of yeah, positive I, I think and up- uplifting. I think I, I I've got a two and o, I've got a two and o theory. Oh yeah, let's hear it. Okay, so I, here's how we go two and o this week. So uh, I'll make it quick. I think we can beat UConn, and and I'll say I guess it's a compound word. I think um, I'm going to say mid range, right? I think Marquette breaks out a mid range game against against Connecticut. Uh, 
that keeps the offense going. I think, you know, Cam Jones, Sean Jones, um, you know, all of our guards, Tyler Kolick to extent, you know, Sonogo is going to be a, you know, is going to be a, and, and Klinger are going to be block party specialists down there. So I think this is going to be the one game where Marquette goes, all right, let's not get all the way to the basket. Let's, let's jump some, 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 sh- jump some mid range games. I also think they're going to wear Sonogo out. I think this is going to be a full court press for 40 minutes type of game. I think we're going to really try and turn Connecticut over. Plus a home crowd, probably a friend, friendly whistle. Uh, I think we can get that, get that win. That's, 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 that's win number two or win number one. Win number two, Xavier. Um, again, because we are similar. But I think the big thing for for Xavier is there's going to be there's going to be turnovers. I think Xavier is going to struggle in the half court to get into positive positions. Um, and if I'm, you know, Shaka is a much smarter person than I. But anytime Kunkel is in the game, I know it's maybe a little counterintuitive, but I would put Stevie Mitchell or Chase Ross on Kunkel and just run him off the line and turn him over. Kunkel has butterfingers when he's got the ball. And if we can get, you know, if we can force the ball into his hands, we can generate a lot of turnovers and go the other way. Um, So I think Marquette turns the Xavier game into a track meet um, in terms of, you know, trying to generate turnovers and go the other way, turnovers in the half court versus the full court and, and really get out and running. I, I think that's I think that's the path to two and zero. Um, you know, I, if if you're looking at both games collectively on paper, the chances of going is two and zero is you know one out of ten or two out of ten. But I think the way this this team is playing right now, and the way Shaka has kind of got them believing, I think there's game plans in both of those games where Marquette can go out and go two and zero. I love the optimism. I love it. I, I I don't know if I can get there with you on the mid-range thing because it is the least efficient efficient shot in basketball unless you're Kevin Durant. It's 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 just not something Marquette's offense has ever really done. It's it's dunks and threes. It's it's get to the paint and, and hit three-point shots. Um, if they've been hiding it and they're about to bust it out, well then I will call you a soothsayer on next week's podcast. <laughs> um, uh, but I, I just don't know if I see it. That way necessarily, I just think Marquette's got to be uncharacteristically good from three. Um, uh, like, not that they're bad, but they need to shoot. Because, because I, I agree with you, I think Sonogo is going to make it very difficult to get those two point shots that they love so much. That has been so key to their offense, and when their offense is really humming, and 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 Kolick is is getting it into Oso, and Oso's making those sweet backdoor passes to guards cutting the basket. I think Connecticut is going to make that very difficult. So. That's where I, I would talk you off 2-0 and on that end. Um, and the other thing I would say is just this league has a way of humbling you. Yeah. Just when you start getting a little cocky, start getting a little confident, start believing that you're going to win every game, this league just has a way of making you remember, oh, this is the Big East. Nothing is easy in this league. Yeah, yeah just ask um, Connecticut, right? Yes, that happened to Connecticut over the past week. Absolutely, it did. Uh and so while I am uh, not big on the idea of going 2-0, and I'm not so pessimistic that I'm thinking 0-2 either. I think Marquette's going to get one of these games. I just can't talk myself into which one I want to pick. Um, I-, I think they may go to Xavier and beat them. Because um, I-, I-, I could see, you know, when I think about it, if Marquette played offense against itself, I think it could score a lot of points. 
<laughs> so that's the, I, I, I think that's I think that's what I think that's what's going to happen. Uh, I would take the over in the Xavier game yeah, for sure. Right? I don't know. I don't know what. I don't know what the over is going to be, but it's going to be too low. I promise you. Um, so if, yeah, if I got to make a pick, I, I, I would say they're yeah they're going to lose to Connecticut, an exciting game, and hopefully a loud, raucous crowd. But I'll say they lose that one. But uh, I think they bounce back and uh, stir things up by going to Xavier and winning because again, this Xavier. I th- they're due for one. Yeah. Well, and uh, I, I will say this. I, you know, I agree with you, Joe, that, that, that of the two games, I think Xavier is the more, even though it's on the road, I think that's the more gettable just simply because, you know, UConn one just overall is very good, but two from a matchup standpoint, I, and this is where, where I really had to, you know, talk myself into it. Right. But you know, from a matchup standpoint, UConn matches up uh, against Marquette better than, you know, any other team maybe in the country, right? So that's that's where, you know, I think the Xavier game is is clearly the the more likely game for Marquette to get a win if you're if you're making the argument that they're going to win one of the two, which one is it? I, I think you're right that it is it is Xavier. Yeah. I, 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 you know, even though it is the likely ending, uh, I just can't predict 0-2 for this team right now. I think they're going to bring it to, uh, this week. I think they're going to play well, but I, I also can't get to 2-0. and So that's if I'm you know, forced to make a prediction, uh, I'll say a loss against Connecticut and uh, pull off a little bit of a surprise and get people talking with a win over Xavier, and then we can maybe really be look forward to uh, – Next week, the 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 rematch against Providence, which I think Marquette fans really seething for. Like they they want to. I I know I do. Like I, I want another shot at Providence. Oh, absolutely. I, I I hated that last game so much, and I, I want another look at them. But we got to focus on what's coming up this week, and that's two really good teams, uh, two really good challenges, but a great opportunity. So that that's where I'm at. Is a uh, I'm going to go with a one in one week, and uh, hopefully. Um, just keep mixing things up in the Big East. I think this league is going to be a fight all year. Absolutely. I, I you know, I, I'm going to say two and zero just because I like. I, I don't, it. it does. It doesn't make sense, but but I, I. It's just a feeling I have. But I will say this: at a minimum, over the next three games, I think we go two and one. Um, I just I don't see a way where yes, they're against the the three arguably the three best teams in the Big East, but two of those games are at home. You know, only one of which is a matchup nightmare for Marquette. Um, right. You know, and and at some point we need to start thinking that this team is good to really good, and and good to really good teams win games like this. So um, I agree. So, yeah, you I know, agree. so I think that's where we're at. Yeah, it, it, yeah, I. I... Don't think this team is going to fade into the abyss uh, and and go zero and three over the next three games. They've got fight in them. I think they're going to show it. And uh, again, we'll see. We'll check in a week from now to see if we're talking Big East championship or not. But I think they will be relevant in the race for the top of the Big East and try to get those uh, those Big East buys so they're not playing the first day uh, in Madison Square Garden. Um, they should be in pretty good shape for that, though. They should be in pretty good shape. So, right. Uh, anything else you want to touch on before we get out of here, Phil? Um, nope, just the weird squeaky noises are Boomer making his first podcast appearance. Like, I don't know if that was coming through on the podcast or not, but it uh, seems like your dog is having a heck of an afternoon. <laughs> he's he's really enjoying himself. This, clearly, this conversation is scintillating to him. 
Um, but yeah, Boomer making his his first uh, Marquette podcast appearance. So uh, big fan, clearly. But uh, it's going to be a very big week. Good boy. Yes, he is. He is the goodest boy. Very good boy. All right. So as always, folks, you can hit us up on uh, Twitter. I am Joe McCann three. Phil is M O O O F 23 at crack sidewalks is the team handle. Go to cracksidewalks.com. We post podcasts there. You can leave comments on cracksidewalks.com. Also, please rate review, subscribe, Apple podcast, Spotify. And as also, uh, there also is still the scrambled eggs, Facebook page. If that is your thing, Phil, uh, have a good week with boomer. Uh, Keep him under control, and uh, let's hope for hey, let's hope for that two and zero week, and we could really be buzzing this time a week from now. Yeah, I'm I'm really hoping everyone can uh, when when we're at the UConn game, everyone can just be like Phil, you were right, you said it, and uh, we'll we'll see how that goes. So that's that's what I'm looking forward to most this week. All right, let's hope Phil is right, and we'll check in with you next week. Until then, seashells and balloons, y'all.